All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys. Next up is the great Max Blumenthal from the Gray Zone, author of Goliath and the 51-Day War. And, uh, oh, hell, it's on the tip of my tongue. I forgot. Got a whole pile of books by Max back there. Uh, welcome back to the show. How you doing, man? Good to be back. What's the latest book again? Management of Savagery. Oh, of course. Jesus Christ. It's the Max Blumenthal version of Enough Already. It's the exact same book, only different <laughs> by this great yeah. guy. Um, I got what Biden's got. You have to forgive me. That's no disrespect. I love that book. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, and it is, I, as I've said before, I was afraid that you and other people would think that I was ripping you off since your book came out first because they're both <laughs> so much alike, starting at 79 and all the way through and, and all the way through for... All you Max Blumenthal fans, get that book and read it. It's great. Um, and then Goliath is the masterpiece about Israel written back a decade ago, of course, um, and the 51-day war about 2014. And, man, you have just been doing such a great job reporting on the current conflict in the Gaza Strip there for, you know, since October and especially debunking the war propaganda of the Israelis. And this is some serious stuff. And the, well, we're going to talk about the deafening silence about it all um, a bit in a minute. But you have done such a great job deconstructing this story by Jeffrey Gettleman, who's usually mongering war in Africa, but in this case has come and written this thing, Screams Without Words, How Hamas Weaponized Sexual Violence on October the 7th. And then you have at the gray zone your takedown with Aaron Maté. Matei, I always say it wrong, with Aaron Matei, screams without proof, questions for NYT about shoddy Hamas mass rape report. And you've been doing the rounds. I've seen a few interviews that you've done about this as well, including on uh, the Robbie Suave show and all that kind of <laughs> thing, doing a really great job. So um, I don't know, I guess just basically take us through uh, kind of overall the, the thrust, I guess, we, we get the title of uh, Gettleman's piece here, but what are his claims, what's his evidence, and what do you make of it? Well, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too far. Um, if you want to do that, read my questions with Aaron to the New York Times. But this article was supposed to sort of be the pinnacle of a propaganda campaign launched by the Israeli government which is responsible for furnishing a lot of the so-called witnesses to the New York Times and company, Gettleman and company. And it really began after the first prisoner swap, so far the only prisoner swap, which produced like the only happy moments of this war, although it was some in, in actually many ways, these were deeply unhappy moments for large sections of the Israeli public and the Israeli government with Israelis coming out of captivity in Gaza and Palestinians coming out of torture 
and political imprisonment in Israeli jails. The Israeli women were coming out and smiling to their captors and waving goodbye. And the Israeli government cooked up some lie that they'd all been put on clonopin, uh, which is why they you know, didn't seem upset or terrified. And then they weren't allowed to give testimony to the public. Um, one woman who'd been released, an old 85-year-old woman um, named uh, Yocheved Lipschitz had come out of captivity and, and delivered a press conference saying she was treated well and that the only threat she faced was from Israeli bombing. That was a disaster. So they had hoped that these women would come out and say, yeah, we were raped continuously and it was horrible and we need to keep the you know military campaign to destroy Hamas and everyone in Gaza is guilty. That's what the right-wing coalition government of Netanyahu had hoped. It didn't happen. So suddenly we start hearing that Hamas used systematic sexual violence on October 7th, and, but it screams without words, in other words, screams without evidence. There are no direct testimonies. The Israeli government is unable to furnish one survivor. Not only that, they're unable to point to any victims. The Israeli police, since the New York Times published this piece, have said that there is no physical evidence to corroborate the claims of the main police witness who's identified as a 24-year-old 24 24-year-old 24 accountant named Sapir in the piece. We pointed out that she said she saw Hamas militants um, displaying three decapitated heads of three rape victims. There is no physical record of any decapitations of women on October 7th. And uh, Sapir also claimed to have seen Hamas militants stand around and cut a woman's breast off with a box cutter and then play with it. I mean, these are just lurid, uh, almost absurd scenes that uh, just don't correspond with the reality of the moment. You have a, a you know, separate Let me stop you right there for just, for just one second. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt your train of thought, but, you know, it really is what they call the big lie technique, whoever is calling it that, where, you know what, as absurd as it is, isn't it more absurd that someone would make that up? It just sounds believable yeah. because otherwise that's just crazy to make that lie up. Cutting children out of wombs and putting them in yeah. ovens and, and 40 decapitated babies and hanging them on clotheslines and, and all of these atrocities when, well... You know, I don't know. And the thing is, too, Max, isn't it important? And nobody ever really talks about this, but they're not just lying to the American people for this. They're lying to the people of Israel. They're Definitely. lying to people who lost their mothers and sisters and wives in that thing who are being led to believe that they were sexually tortured to death and all of this stuff when really yeah, they so were just murdered, which is already the worst thing that could ever happen to someone, you know? So that's why the family of the person who is Exhibit A in this New York Times piece, the woman in the black dress, Gal Abdush, her sister and her brother-in-law came out and condemned the New York Times and said she was not raped. They just took a took video and deduced or from the video, which doesn't show any real sign of rape, that she had been and that this was damaging the psychological health of her orphaned children that her husband would have been present with her at the time, which made it basically impossible. 
and that uh, the New York Times manipulated the family into thinking they were doing a story just about her death, which was horrible enough, uh, and instead went with murder, rape, uh, which they felt was this, you know, complete breach of trust. And the New York Times has never addressed this. Today, The Guardian has a separate story out, which claims evidence of mass rape by Hamas. But if you read into the story, there is no evidence. There's an acknowledgement that none of this rises even to the level. The evidence would not even produce a criminal investigation on normal circumstances. And the most irresponsible thing that The Guardian failed to report is that since the New York Times piece came out, and since all these family members have come out and disowned the piece, and since the Israeli police have come out and said there's no physical evidence and they've put out a call for witnesses, the Israeli government has rejected a United Nations investigation invitation, an invitation to participate in a UN investigation into sexual violence on October 7th on the grounds that the investigation itself is anti-Semitic. So they don't want independent outsiders to actually come in because they don't have anything. And they they just simply want the Western media, a bunch of suggestible dupes who are often ideologically aligned with Israel and its objectives to uh, remain as their mighty Wurlitzer to continue to lie to the American public and the Israeli public. And there's another element here, Scott in this campaign for the uh, domestic consumption, for the consumption of the Hebrew speaking public. And it's that if they believe that these Texas chainsaw massacre level crimes were committed against their own people, it's going to lead them to reenact them in Gaza, which is what the Israeli military has been doing. And we've been seeing video of them doing this, the most heinous war crimes ever. Children are actually being beheaded in the Gaza Strip. Women are being killed in massive numbers. 70% of the 24,000 that we know are dead, many more are definitely dead, are women and children. And so in order to maintain the morale of the Israeli military and to keep the public unified, this is what's necessary. Yeah, all right. There's so much, but I wanna focus on one thing you said there about, it was just a throwaway line, as relevant as it is. No response from the New York Times. I mean, you you did go ahead and go down the rabbit hole. I don't think you did every single one of them, but you brought up major reasons to disbelieve a few of these claims already. This is, you know, uh, it's a pretty neat kind of example of alternative media that they wish just did not exist. They wish that they could just dismiss as somehow some prison planet crap or something, but it's not. It's, you know, you don't work for them, but this is real journalism and you have got their ass here. And then they have nothing to say. Jeffrey Gettleman and the New York Times and whoever's job it is, they have no response to this whatsoever, much less a retraction or corrections or anything official like that. But not even a tweet about, well, Max, maybe you have a point. We're looking into it or anything. No, you know, they they started... uh acknowledging us in the most insulting and condescending way possible. The New York Times tech correspondent, Shira Frankel, went down to southern Israel and met with the southern commander of Zaka, who's responsible for so many of these lies. Zaka is this Israeli ultra-Orthodox so-called rescue organization that was 
in the southern communities that had been attacked by Hamas. They were there days after the attack. And they collected body parts. And then they spun out the lies of beheaded, behead, 40 beheaded babies. Uh, you know, a, a rival group claimed a baby had been bur- baked in an oven, completely false. They said that a fetus had been cut from a pregnant woman, completely false. That uh, children had been mutilated while their parents were killed. And then the Hamas militants ate lunch in the next room, which Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, repeated in testimony before the Senate to justify rejecting a ceasefire. And all many of these, these are lies, it, complete lies. Are all those in Haaretz? I know Haaretz did a pretty good debunking of the worst of those. Yeah, they did a debunking after we did. So it's like they confirm the gray zone, like because we can't be yeah. just trusted on our own unless some mainstream group does. You always but, show uh, your work. The New York Times sent a uh, reporter down to do a puff piece on the group that we had discredited so solidly, which which ironically was founded by someone that was known as the Orthodox Jeffrey Epstein in the Orthodox community because he was such a prolific serial rapist and he committed suicide and died last year. I mean, he was running the organization until last year. So none of that is mentioned in this puff piece. And they refer to us as activists in the puff piece in the New York Times. So activists have questioned the accuracy of Zaka's claims, but that's it. There's no, they don't recount the lies because they are so desperate to keep this narrative going. Mm-hmm. And what, what the, you know, what's so funny here or sad, honestly, is that you clearly have these Jewish liberal reporters who hate what we're doing because they identify with Israel, but they also, you know, whether it's the, the New York Times staff or Jake Tapper, Dana Bash, the Washington Post sent some reporter to attack us who is obviously a Jewish liberal Zionist. They also pine for the hostages and the captives in, in, in Gaza. And they want them out. They don't seem to understand. They're never coming out as long as the military operation continues. And that the Israeli military, and this corresponds with the other angle we've been working on since October 7th, the Israeli military is killing them day after day after day. And it appears they're doing so deliberately. And more and more of the family members of these captives are saying it openly inside Israeli society. They're killing them to prevent a prisoner swap because they don't want to deal with Hamas. And so while the, when these reporters are hyping up all this propaganda, all they're doing is prolonging the war. This is just war propaganda. It's genocide propaganda. And they're winding, they're getting the captives killed. The only way the captives are coming out is with a ceasefire. Yeah. All right. I want to go back to the seventh real quick here because, you know, I got to give a charitable like uh, kind of a guess about what people might be thinking. Listen to this. Like, well, geez, what about what they did do on October the 7th? And I saw you mention in one of these interviews that what Hamas did was murder civilians on October the 7th, including throwing grenades into shelters, I think you said, as well as, you know, killing people with, uh, with, uh, you know, bullets and with RPGs and whatever. There's plenty of footage on Telegram of what did happen there. And, you know, talking about throwing grenades into shelters, that's what our guys, that's what American GIs did at the My Lai massacre in Vietnam. So 
it's only by embellishing all of this craziness that it makes that somehow pale in comparison to hanging babies on clotheslines and all of this stuff. But as I've told you before, I've mentioned before, I had an extended family member killed in this thing. She was a middle-aged woman, you know, clearly by definition a non-combatant and, uh, and was murdered along with a lot of other people. So no one should think that you or I are here to play down what actually happened. But the point is, and you explained this to Robbie Suave on the show the other day, the rising, I guess it is, about, well, what difference does it make then? If they threw grenades into shelters with women and children in them, Max, then what difference does it make about all of this embellished babies on bayonets? Right. Well, first of all, uh, close to 400 of those killed on October 7th were active duty Israeli soldiers who were enforcing the siege. They were basically guards of the prison camp, which is now a death camp. And to the extent that they were taken captive, they're prisoners of war. They're not hostages. Uh, hundreds of non-combatants were killed as well. And not all of them were killed by Hamas militants. There were three waves of infiltration and by 8.30 or so, almost all the Hamas commandos were either gone or involved in direct confrontation with Israeli special forces, um, often in situations with where they were holding captives. And as we know, now know, Israeli tanks shelled them and killed in order to kill everyone because their orders were do not allow them to get back to Gaza. So, I mean, one of the most horrific killings on October 7th was of a Thai worker who was basically like an indentured servant on one of these kibbutzim. And he was killed by people who were like riffraff who had come in from Gaza, who beat him to death with a shovel. Uh, who knows who they are, you know, criminals, fanatics, but they weren't affiliated with Hamas. They were wearing plain clothes. And some of the allegations that we have of sexual violence are against people who were said to be just common civilians. Um, if you actually look at the casualty photos that Israel's displaying uh, on their snuff sites to try to emphasize the horror of October 7th, you'll see actually piles of young men who had been burnt, their bodies are completely scorched, and they don't appear to be Israelis, and they're wearing jeans. Okay, and this is around the Supernova Electronic Music Festival. No one was, uh, Israeli guys weren't wearing jeans at 6 a.m. while partying at a desert music festival. And having been to Gaza, like it's a cultural faux pas to not wear long pants no matter how hot it is. So I suspect these were just uh, common people would come in. And not all of them were there to murder either. This was like what they considered to be their lands that had been stolen from them. They were taking pictures. They, they were just common onlookers. So the picture of October 7th is a lot more complex than we understand. Um, but the main objective of Hamas commandos was get as many Israelis back alive as possible. And inevitably, there is going to be crossfire. And now we know at least 70 vehicles were destroyed going back to Gaza, many with all of their cap uh, passengers killed inside by Israeli Apache helicopters and Israeli tanks. And these included many Israelis. So we don't yeah. know how many Israelis Hamas killed, but for sure, there's evidence that they shot people, um, that they killed people. But the lurid stories were obviously necessary, as you said, Scott, because it's the big lie 
that is really needed to sell the war. If you're going to lie, lie big. And that's what Israel has done here. What, what the, the evidence they have of Hamas commandos systematically killing civilians obviously wasn't sufficient to move the public, especially the international public. So they had to do more. Yesterday, CNN claimed they had a video that cemented Israel's portrayal of Hamas as ISIS by showing a beheading. They actually aired this on prime time. And it just showed different jump cuts of a militant wearing camouflage. And it appeared that he was checking on dead bodies. And at one point he has a knife, but it doesn't show any beheading. And they just say it's a beheading because that's what the Israelis told them. It's just like, how long do we have to keep going on debunking this October 7th stuff when you have videos of, there are videos of, for example, Hamas shooting motorists trying to get through a checkpoint that Hamas had set up. Yeah, and, you know, which, um, by the way, is what is the Israeli military does all the time in the West Bank. Sure. Um, hey, y'all, I got a new coffee sponsor, Mundo's Artisan Coffee at MundosArtisanCoffee.com. When I wake up in the morning, I feel like my brain is all dried out. I need to pour a hot mug of rich, tasty coffee all over it to get it back working again, like 10W30 for the noggin. Though not necessary, it helps if the coffee tastes good. Well, Mundo's Artisan Coffee does taste good. They get the best beans from all around the world, and they don't burn them. Support the show and support your brain at MundosArtisanCoffee.com. Just click the link at the right margin at ScottHorton.org. Hey, guys. I had some wasps in my house, so I shot them to death with my trusty Bug Assault 3.0 model with the improved salt reservoir and bar safety. I don't have a deal with them. But the show does earn a kickback every time you get a bug assault or anything else you buy from Amazon.com by way of the link in the right-hand margin on the front page at scotthorton.org. So keep that in mind. And don't worry about the mess. Your wife will clean it up. Well, folks, sad to say, they lied us into war. All of them. World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq War I, Serbia, Afghanistan, Iraq War II, Libya, Syria, Yemen all of them. But now you can get the ebook All the War Lies by me for free. Just sign up for the email list at the bottom of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash subscribe. Get All the War Lies by me for free. And then you'll never have to believe them again. Well, and you know, I remember I think on the 8th or the 9th or whatever there was footage of Hamas guys walking. I think it was a mom and a dad and their two daughters down the street and then at the end of the street, there's their dead bodies in the next picture, all four of them. And they were already clearly, you know, captives and civilians who were, you know, were just executed. And they didn't show the actual execution. It was pretty clear what had happened to them. And um, and anyway, on Telegram, a friend of mine sent me a, this is the worst channel of it if you want to look at it all. And I didn't look at it all, but I looked at quite a bit of it. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I think you're right that. It must that be right. But they judged sponsors. that it wasn't bad enough for the full scale response that they wanted to launch here. They could have done a 2014 type slaughter, but they couldn't have done this without the 40 beheaded babies and all of that. Well, and as you said, too, it was after the hostage thing is when they brought it back up again was when the hostages came out not having been raped, is when they then did this big propaganda campaign about the 7th again. 36 
Israeli captives have been killed in Gaza. It appears that all of them were killed by Israeli airstrikes, except for three who were killed directly by the Israeli Golani Brigade as they approached them shirtless, waving a white flag, screaming in Hebrew that they wanted to be rescued. The Israeli military has free fire orders on anything that moves in civilian neighborhoods in Gaza. So they killed them just like they're killing Palestinians. But they need to keep us focused on October 7th. And that's why if you turn on CNN and you watch Jake Tapper, it's October 7th, hostages, hostages, Trump, 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 hostages, Trump, hostages. Nothing about the fact that just in the last, I don't know, 48 hours, Israeli troops on camera blew up 12 city blocks in Khan Yunus and celebrated, massacred 250 people, including through field massacres, blew up a major private university in northern Gaza, and then blew up what was left of Islamic University in Gaza. Can you tell me about the field massacres there that you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, on January 11th, there's multiple eyewitness accounts, as well as actual like documentation through the names of the victims and the you know injuries they suffered of a massacre north of Gaza City on uh, Nasser Saladin Street, which runs north to south. And they were uh, uh, hundreds of people had gone to wait for one of the rare aid trucks that was reaching northern Gaza, and Israel attacked them with tanks and quadrocopters and gunned them down with machine guns from tanks and then started attacking them from the sky with quadrocopters, which fire bullets. I mean, just imagine how dystopian that is. A quadrocopter drone descending on you, hitting you with bullets. 50 were killed and the rest of the crowd fled. You can easily find video of people fleeing, uh, bombing in order to get flour in Gaza. This is happening all the time. Um, I posted video of a field massacre in December outside the Aleppo school in Jabalia. A family had been sheltering there. They attempted to get out waving white flags and were shot at close range by Israeli soldiers. And video showed the father still holding a white flag, surrounded by his family, all dead, with a cat on top of him eating his eyeballs. And uh, Twitter X removed that video. Uh, that that was, you know, what preceded the field massacre of Israeli captives who were attempting to escape by Israeli soldiers. Two of them were shot by a sniper and one of them got away and the Israeli army unit pursued him on foot and executed him at point blank range. This is an Israeli. Uh, they said he was hiding behind a wall and he came out speaking Hebrew and they still just blew him away anyway. You know, um, okay, so look, there's so much here, Max, of course, but let's go back to the Hannibal thing, because of course you were ahead of the curve on this. There are two or three or four stories from, I think, beginning in October about the friendly fire, as you might call it there on October the 7th. And you've just been confirmed more and more by local reporting in Israel and especially now this new report in Ynet. So can you talk a little bit more about just what exactly is going on there? And it's just so happens that today the feds released their report criticizing the police in Uvalde for standing around and doing nothing while this guy is killing pretty much toddlers, five-year-olds. Um, seems kind of fitting. 
you know, the, the security forces, the people that they never mind their brutality against the Palestinians for a moment, or I guess it's part and parcel of it. But this is how the Israeli nation state, which is ultimately, supposedly, the security force of the citizens of Israel, treats the citizens of Israel. Yeah, I mean, Uvalde is actually, I, didn't, I hadn't thought about that. Uvalde is a really good parallel for what happened in Kibbutz Berry, which is where over 100 Israeli Israelis died, mostly non-combatants. That community had been taken over by Hamas commandos, and their intention was to basically just get as many people out and back to Gaza as possible. But many of them became kind of... Uh, trapped in homes with captives. There was one home owned by a family called Pesi Cohen, where some 40 Hamas commandos had been holed up with about 15 captives. Many of them were laying out on the front lawn and it was surrounded by Israeli special forces. But hundreds of Israeli special forces had waited outside Kibbutzberry and were never given the order to go inside. And instead, uh, Major General, or, or uh, I think it's Major uh, Barak Hiram, who is now a huge figure in the Israeli military, comes from the religious nationalist camp, is leading the assault on Gaza. He gave the orders to send in tanks and for the tanks to fire on the homes of Israelis with the Israelis inside in order to prevent the Hamas commandos from coming out or to prevent negotiations. And they fired two tank shells on the Pesi Cohen home and killed everyone inside. And then um, there were two children who were killed in that assault from the Hetzroni family. They were both 12 years old. The Israeli foreign ministry then goes and uses those kids as poster children of Hamas savagery and says, you know, Hamas murdered them and executed these children. We know that's false because there were actually somehow two survivors. One woman survived the shelling and another woman, uh, um, Yasmin Porat, had actually been taken out of the building before by the lone Hamas commando who survived. And so they both provided eyewitness testimony of the tank killing everyone inside. But if you look at all the homes in Kibbutzberry, they all bear telltale signs of tank shelling. The tanks, there's now video we've seen of a, a tank shelling all around the community. And that community has been turned into like the new Holocaust Museum, the new Yad Vashem, where every international visitor, Jared Kushner, Elon Musk, the lady who runs libs of TikTok, they come to Israel on their propaganda tour and they're all taken there. None of them ask questions about the friendly fire orders. So we wrote about this and about the helicopters, obviously shelling people, cars with Israelis inside, people on the ground around the electronic music festival. Uh, I was relying on testimony published in Israeli media by the pilots who were basically admitting to this. Came under a lot of attack. Haaretz called us conspiracy theorists. The Washington Post assigned a reporter to accuse us of disinformation. And then Ynet comes out with this blockbuster investigation. Ynet, the most mainstream, most widely read Israeli newspaper. And that is a right-leaning paper or not? Right-leaning, yeah, but I it's thought not so. pro-Netanyahu. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything in Israel except for Haaretz is right-leaning. But it's like... Uh, 
I don't know what to compare it to. I mean, it, well, it's compare sort of like it to the, the Jerusalem Post for us. Well, the Jerusalem Post is more caters to the Anglo settlers who live in Jerusalem and the West Bank mega settlements, and you know, it's mostly for the English-speaking public. But uh, Ynet is really like, you know, it's what the average uh, middle-class Israeli gets up and reads in the morning. So this was published by Ronan Bergman, who's who also is a security reporter, security correspondent for the New York Times and another security correspondent. It's citing official Israeli military sources and intelligence sources. And it concluded that Hannibal orders, so they, weren't, they didn't use the word Hannibal, but orders to fire on vehicles and targets, even if they contained Israelis, and especially if they contained Israelis, were handed out on a massive scale on October 7th. Firing regulations were abandoned so firing could take place at close range and 70 cars were destroyed on their way back to Gaza, many with all of their occupants killed inside. And you can assume that these were cars with Israelis. Why do they want to do this? Why do they want to prevent the Israelis from getting back to Gaza? Because in, in 2011, Israel exchanged over 1,000 Palestinian political prisoners, including the future prime minister of Gaza, who oversaw the October 7th operation, Yahya Senwar, for one Israeli soldier who had been captured, Gilad Shalit. And now there are over 200 Israelis. Well, right now there's 125 in Gaza. So you, that's the only political leverage Hamas has in the entire world. It's their only the only bargaining chip they have to negotiate for the release of all these Palestinian political prisoners who are being tormented in Israeli jails, including hundreds of children, thousands of women, uh, as well as the, a relaxation of the siege. And so you don't, you, in order to deny Hamas political leverage, you want to kill your own people. You enact the Hannibal procedure. This to me is one of the, aside from genocide, which is a pretty big scandal, this is one of the biggest scandals of the war. Yeah, it's just, the whole story is so crazy, including this latest one by you and Wyatt Reed. Israeli army gassed my son like Auschwitz. Mother of slain Israeli soldier says. Now, um, I, I read this is, well, I'll just fucking <laughs> rephrase that. What the hell is going on here, Max? Well, yeah. The Israeli military had been batting around this plan to either flood the tunnels underneath Gaza. There are some 450 kilometers of tunnels, which make it hard for them to, quote unquote, eradicate Hamas or to fill them with poison gas. And the families of the hostages had been begging Israel's war cabinet openly to not carry out these operations because it would kill their own children, but they did it anyway. And three Israeli soldiers who were captured on October 7th, including Ron Sherman, the son of this woman, were gassed to death. They know he was gassed to death because of the injuries that he suffered. They got his body back and so on. His fingers were crushed. He was trying to climb out of what his mother called his toxic tomb 
and the Israeli military admitted to using poison gas. They did. So, wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> Pardon me, just to be specific here. You're saying that the mother knows from legit toxicology reports on the sun that, yes, it was a poison gas, and the Israeli government admitted using poison gas in this circumstance? They have admitted using poison gas in Gaza. I don't know about this circumstance. Because I had the read mother, about, Max, yeah. I had read them saying that that was a plan, but that it had seemed that they had not used that. So, I mean, it's very important that we know exactly what the evidence is for this. Um because that's a hell of a thing, but uh, they're saying this wasn't just carbon monoxide or something. This was what? Well, Some I'm not kind saying nerve gas I don't or something? know if it was Zyklon B or carbon monoxide or what, but they've been using, they've been openly discussing using some form of noxious fume yeah. to get, as, as, as the U.S. did with the Viet Cong tunnels where they were using flamethrowers to dislodge militants from these tunnels and the families have been begging them not to. But as I said, the mother has looked at her son's injuries along with, I guess, forensic pathologists and the mother concluded that he was trying to escape uh, while being suffocated. And yeah. obviously there's no, there's nothing to gain for Hamas to just suffocate or execute these prisoners. Um, I could go through other instances where the Israeli military actually tried to liberate captured um, soldiers in Gaza, and it didn't go too well. Yeah, um, well, I mean, she explicitly accuses the Israeli government here. I wonder if, if, hey, I'm just a radio guy. You're the reporter. I wonder if you could follow up with her and how she knows that and the doctor what told her about the injuries to his lungs, et cetera. His lungs, well, this is, a, G in this that is a huge scandal in Israel now. I mean, it's not contained. Oh, it, this is um, this particular story is taking off already on its own there? Yeah, I mean, you can go to Times of Israel or any of the mainstream sites and see it being reported. Or I follow, you know, Hebrew telegram uh, sites. And, you know, you, you, you can do it too just with uh, machine translation. And they're all talking about this because the mother had a tombstone made for her son, accusing the Israeli government of abandoning him of, in Gaza and then killing him. And the Israeli authorities have removed that tombstone. And today, well, earlier today, because they're ahead of us, um, and their time zone is ahead of us, the mother went to uh, hand inscribe the same tombstone and place it where her son is buried because she's so determined to get that message across. And that's the message that's being conveyed also by hostages who are still in, uh, in Gaza and by the father of Ron Sherman. Alex Sherman said at a rally that, you know, the only way to get the hostages out is through negotiations, essentially through a ceasefire. Um, but we have, we have so much documentation of Israeli military airstrikes killing hostages one after another, the hostages know and their families know that the only way out of this is to end the, end the strikes. Yeah, and Hamas or, is not going to negotiate another temporary pause. They want a full ceasefire. Yeah. All right. I know you're short on time and I am too today, but you do such great work and I sure as hell appreciate it. That's uh, Max Blumenthal at thegrayzone.com. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot, Scott. 
the Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSRadio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.